Welcome in to another great edition of the Sports Roundtable, July 29th, 2019. I'm your host, Aaron Host, sitting alongside to my right is Kelly Gamble. Kelly, how are you this evening? I am wonderful and looking forward to another edition of the Sports Roundtable. I'm excited to bring you guys more great content. Once again, this podcast is being brought to you by Three Guys Fitness in Reedsville. Mention you heard this ad on 96.7 K-Country and receive $5 off your initial membership fee by Brouhaha in Kingwood, located on Price Street, where the coffee beans are roasted in-house, and the coffee is absolutely delicious, and they are now selling smoothies as well. And by High Ground Brewing in Terra Alta. Kelly, what are we going to be talking about today? Well, we're going to talk about just a little bit because we've been, uh, as you said earlier, maybe beating a dead horse when it comes to the Pittsburgh Pirates baseball team. And uh, Josh Bell has not hit one home run in the second half. The Pirates are 2-14 and 14 in their last 16 games. They're now 13 games under five hundred and 10 games out of first place. So as uh, this last week's went along, they haven't picked up one win since we've uh, been with you the last time on a sports podcast. So uh, on a sports roundtable. And uh, Aaron? I would like to say officially that I believe the Pittsburgh Pirates season is now in the tank. It started that way when opening day happened. It always is that way. There's always upbeat optimism that what happened, what if this happens, what if that happens. Well, everything was supposed to be built around the pitching this year, and it just never came to where the pitching was consistent. It kind of was the first month of the season when you're winning those one nothing, 2-1 games. But now you're finding yourself where you're giving up a minimum of four runs a game. And it's very hard to have an offense that averages four runs a game. If, you're, if your offense averages four runs a game throughout the year, you're talking a division winner, possibly. Look at, look at teams that have consistent four-run games that average four-run games. They are always up in the mix. A team that's turning it on, I mean, you could, I think you can – Take back the three pirate losses against the Cardinals. Yes, they, they did kind of get shellacked by the Cardinals, to say the least. But the Cardinals are on top of the baseball world right now. They're one of the hottest teams out there right now. Paul Goldschmidt, he's a guy who has seen postseason play, and he knows when it's time to turn it on. He had a home run in all four games of the four-game series against the Pirates. And uh, I made a comment about three weeks ago right here in the radio station as we was just having chit-chat and uh, told Neil Waldeck that I believe that the St. Louis Cardinals were the team to beat. And they just kept hanging around, hanging around, hanging around. And now Goldschmidt's on fire the same way that Bell was on fire in the first half of the Pirates as he was carrying them. And, uh, but the Cardinals have many more people in place to continue on their surge. And, again, as the Pirates are surging to the cellar and – Right now, they have a three-game series the Pirates do coming up against the Reds. And as I spoke on last week's podcast, the Pirates are going to have to get the bats going. They got shut out the one game, and then they're losing games 8-7, to 6-5. to five. So they're scoring a few runs here and there, but their pitching is just not holding up. And I uh, believe that uh, you have some uh, new information here, just breaking here today, that the Pirates have traded a pitcher. Is that correct? The guy we thought was the dark horse of the staff, the guy I went and saw pitch the first time he ever pitched in a Pirates uniform and pitched very well his first few starts in Pittsburgh, and we thought, wow, if this guy is consistent throughout the year, we got our starting five rotation. But as it seems now, the Pirates have already given up on him, which it, it's time now, as inconsistent as he, been, as he has been. And that man is Jordan Lyles. They trade him back to the Milwaukee Brewers for Cody Ponce. 
Cody Ponce. And what do we know about Cody Ponce? Cody Ponce, I know he's a right-handed prospect in the Brewers organization. Um, Once again, I think obviously this is a sell. The Pirates aren't. The Pirates aren't winning anything by getting this one. They're only looking towards the future. I mean, getting a prospect. Um, How young um, is this kid? This one. That's this one. That's okay. Um, uh, I'm researching right now. I once I saw it dropped, I didn't have too much more about him. I just know. Didn't just I, wondered the level that he was pitching at I right just, now um, in the Brewers system. But uh, but either be, way, uh, Lyle showed com- showed com- uh, some consistency. Uh, early on in the season, but boy, he's he's actually been beat up uh, pretty good here in the second half of the season. So, uh, yep, the Pirates will move on then. And uh, uh, did the Pirates organization mention who's going to be taking uh, Lyles' place in the starting rotation? That's one thing that was uh, a big question because Jordan Lyles was slated to start tonight. He was. Yeah. Um, I, I just I just found out Cody Ponce is 25 years old. He was a Brewers second round pick, fifty five fifty fifth overall in the twenty fifteen twenty fifteen draft. In double A this season, Ponce has recorded a one and three record with a three point two nine ERA and thirty eight and a third innings pitched with forty four strikeouts and twenty seven relief appearance. He had some upside with an above average fastball, a ten point three three Ks per nine innings. Average. So he's def he's definitely seemed to the ERA is not bad either. The one loss record a lot of times determined by the again how many runs is scored as far as your one loss record by your team. But uh, and, the ERA is pretty pretty good. And this is a fan page I'm getting it off of. It's Pirates dot Strong on Instagram. If you check them out, they put a lot of great information out there. It's not officially from the Pirates, but it's pretty reliable information. Um, they add at the end overall the Pirates got a pretty solid return for for a half a year of a horrible starter. I think these are the kinds of the trades that the Pirates need to do to build their way to the future is get these kind of guys. I know it's going to stink for us Pirates fans to kind of go back into the, go back into the cellar for however many years it's going to take to fix this mess. But I I posted something on Facebook this morning and it's not something I, I mean, I know I'm on my high horse and I know I've been, if anybody, I've been one of the bigger critics of Bob Nutting and Neil Huntington. But Neil Huntington, I think, took over the Pirates as GM in 2007. I think that's when he took over. It was 2007 or 2009. Neil Huntington took over around the same time Bob Nutting bought the franchise. What have you. The fact I'm saying is the Pirates have been so inconsistent in the 10-plus years that they've been. They've had how many really high first overall picks? How many of those have came to fruition? You've only had one good one to show for, and you trade him and Garrett Cole. Jamison Tyon hasn't really, and it's not Jamison Tyon's fault either. I think he would be a heck of a starter if he didn't already have Tommy John, if he didn't have surgery last year from cancer. I mean, this guy's a, this guy's a tough cookie. But if you have been the owner of this franchise for seven plus years and you're going to fire sale this team and this is probably the third time the Pirates have declared a sell or a fire sale to totally rebuild this team and you build it back up, but yet you're tearing it back down again. You've done this three or four times. Maybe it's not the players that you're drafting. Maybe it's your fault. Maybe you don't have the management skills to lead this franchise. And I'm talking clear down the line. I'm talking Bob Nutting, Frank Cooley, Neil Huntington, Clint Hurdle, Ray Searage, Dave Eckstein, or Rick Eckstein, sorry. I'm talking every single person in the Pirates front office. There's a problem at the head. 
And you don't cut off the middle. Well, let me just clarify where I'm at, and then we'll move on past the Pirates. And, again, we don't want to – well, I know there's a lot of baseball to be played, but, again, they're starting a series tonight against the Reds, a team that's uh, now three games ahead of the Pirates. Um, So the Pirates would have to have a sweep just to get back uh, even with the Reds, and uh, it don't look good for the Pirates, and uh, I'm not sure that – that they really have a chance to make that run this year. So I'm in agreement that I think that uh, that you need to have – you got to get rid of the manager right now. Um, Clint Hurdle, again, he's a good man. I've always thought he's a good man. But when it comes to getting the most out of your players, uh, I have just not consistently seen with some of these players who have all this upside uh, when it comes to your – Starting Martes, your Gregory Polanco's, uh, players of that nature that just never seems to get the fullest potential out of them. Um, getting them to run out of ground ball, I mean, every time. And if a player's injured, my question is, I know that there's sometimes, I mean, I've dealt with injuries in my past and whenever I was young in high school. Um, but, you know, when a, when a guy is injured all the time, is it because of his work ethic? And are you getting the most out of these, these guys whenever you, you get them in? So I'm, I'm ready to see uh, – a new manager right now for the Pirates. Uh, I'm ready to, to move past the Clinton Hurdle era and see what the Pirates can do. But I, I think right now you definitely have, a, have, have to have a fresh start when it comes to uh, from the top down. And so I'm, I'm looking, hopefully, and believing that that may occur at the end of this season. Um, you never know if there could be a move made before the season's over. I doubt it. If I'm not mistaken, did they not give Clint Hurdle an extension last year? Yeah, because they were... So they were expected to lose almost 100 games last year with the team they had and end up going above 500 with playing one less game in the season. They end up going above 500. 81 and 80. And then you come to this season, you're like, well, we added a couple pieces. We didn't really lose anything from last year. So I think everybody was on their high horse this year that, well, if they didn't get rid of anybody from last year and they only added – they should be well, exponentially better. Well, they could blame it on injuries, and there has been a slew of injuries, especially to the pitching staff this year. But hasn't uh, that always been the thing with the Pirates? Well, it's it's, it's strength, saying, strength and conditioning. Well, There's something wrong with the Pirates' strength and conditioning. Well, that's one of the things I've just said. Is that is there a reason for that? Is there a reason that there's a lot of injuries? Is, is there a workout regiment uh, in place that's doing the job to, to get these guys ready and healthy? And when, Obviously not. When you make an investment uh, you know, in anything in, in professional sports to, to any player, you want to get the, the utmost potential out of them. And right now I just don't see that being done. So, therefore, like I said, I'm, I'm ready to at least see a new manager right now. And so, you know, maybe they'll even make that move before the end of the season, but I doubt it. I'm one person I do not like because here, here's how I look at it. The Pirates are done this season. They're not going anywhere. They're not going to go anywhere. And even if they do have one upswing this rest of the half of the season, they're not going to make up ground because this is the time of the year the Cubs – the Cardinals, and even the Brewers to an extent turn it up and aren't playing mediocre ball. They're not playing 500 ball right now. They're playing to win the division. So if you're already behind the eight ball right now and you're trying to come out and try to get in the division lead or even make a wild card spot, you got another thing coming. And then you got to think about it. you got the Nationals that want the other wild card spot from the, from the NL East. You got so many other franchises. This isn't just the NL Central that wants that wild card, because if it were to happen today, and everything, I'm pretty sure the NL Central would have two teams in the wild card. It's either them or the NL East would have two teams, because I know the Phillies 
are ahead of the Nationals, or no, the Nationals are ahead of the Phillies. Either way, you would have so many teams vying for those wild card spots. The Pirates season's done, even no matter what the upswing is. But I kind of got off on a tangent there. I'm never for firing a manager in the middle of the season. The only time I feel like that is necessary is when you feel there is a possibility or the potential that if you fire that guy in the middle of the season, it will make an impact and possibly push you towards a playoff run. Other than that, you do not trade him. You stick with what you got, and you move on in the offseason. When you can fire him and get a replacement and have a good coaching search. Because if you fire him now, you have to name an interim. And if that interim does somewhat good during the second half of the season, a lot of those times those people get that job. Sometimes, yeah. Um, Either way, I'm ready to move past the Pirates talk. Uh, I think I'm getting excited for Mountaineer football. What about you? Oh, I'm... I'm, The words do not describe how excited I am to move on to Mountaineer football. Mountaineer football is 32 days, 20 hours, 23 minutes, and 41 seconds away from kickoff. I cannot (laughs) wait for kickoff. I will be there at Milan Pushkar Stadium that day, and I plan on being there as soon as the gates open. So I, oh. And if that's the case, you can take another hour and a half off that countdown because that's when the gates open. Well, that's when the gates open, but that's kickoff right there, and the Mountaineers will start on August 31st at 2 p.m. They will be on AT&T Sportsnet, uh, and also you can listen to it live right here at 96.7 K-Country, or you can go to kcountryradio.com. Com. Is that correct? That is correct. Well, I am looking forward to that, and I'm looking forward to, uh, again, James Madison Dukes. Uh, a lot of people think that uh, because it's James Madison, it's not an FBS. Uh, you know, it's not that – they used to call it the 1AA. But James Madison is coming in ranked number two and has a lot of success. And so I don't think it's going to be the pushover, Aaron, that everybody actually thinks it might be because unless you're really truly understanding uh, football – these schools have made a big jump over the last 10 years especially, and it seems to me like they're playing with a lot of Division One schools. And so I'm really looking forward to this first matchup, and I think that the first game of the year is going to definitely determine where the Mountaineers go because if they would get upset in that first game, it don't look good. But if they can win that first one and get a little bit of momentum going into Missouri after the James Madison game, um, Missouri again has Kelly Bryant that transferred from Clemson. Uh, they also have a transfer from TCU, Robinson, the quarterback. So um, they have a couple quarterbacks, and I think that basically everybody's taking Missouri and looking at Kelly Bryant, thinking that he's going to turn that program around. But you know, they basically what I just looked at yesterday: West Virginia and Missouri are right neck and neck, and it comes to the overall rankings as they ranked every team individually. And I looked at it yesterday doing a little homework. So really, I don't think that uh, Missouri is going to be as good as what everybody thinks. But uh, West Virginia needs some momentum going in after that first game, going to Missouri, and you never know what can happen. The Mountaineers, I think, are going to be a surprising team this year. Whether they're really terrible or really good, I think they're going to surprise people. I do not see them finishing eighth in the Big 12, like I said before. I think I see them finishing sixth. I see them getting to a bowl game with six wins to seven. I've definitely backed off my number from 10 and 2. If any year was the opportunity to go ten and two, it was last year to go ten and two, and they weren't even able to accomplish that. I mean, you had you had Oklahoma is all I can say. You had them. They had them on the ropes, and uh, it didn't happen. And you you think when you have that 
packed house in Morgantown. Mountaineer Field's rocking. It's a night game, and uh, they just haven't been able to get it done against Oklahoma, which, again, is the only team in the Big 12 that West Virginia has not defeated since that we have uh, been into the Big 12. So is it going to be this year? I don't know. you got to go to Oklahoma. I'm not seeing, not seeing it happen this year, but you just never know. And there's so much excitement, though, with the new coaching staff, and uh, there's so much uncertainty. And I think that's what makes it interesting is, you know, everybody's talking and hyping up Neil Brown, which I'm one of those. I'm on board with Neil Brown and, and how he is a, as a person, as a, as a man, as a as a father. He's a father figure and to the to these kids and uh we talked last week a little bit about he's been inviting them to his home um and and having that camaraderie that 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 you need to build in team unity so that dana holgerson didn't do no he didn't have that same type of personality and uh you know we i think everybody was excited basically just about the numbers when it came to dana holgerson when we heard dana holgerson and we we heard the quarterbacks and receiving stats that he actually had had as an assistant and as an offensive coordinator, everybody got excited just for the numbers, but they didn't really know him as a man. And so over the years, as a man, I don't think that West Virginia uh, ever really saw Dana Holgerson as someone who was that leadership role to see oversee an entire program and basically did not have that same type of camaraderie that we're going to be seeing when it comes to leadership with Neil Brown. So, like I said, the uncertainty of it, the the excitement, the, the adrenaline's already rushing right now, I know, for me, because uh, I'm just ready to, to watch some football and uh, kind of put baseball in the back burner here. I I mean that's one thing I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump a horse here and you guys are gonna be surprised where this comes from. I'm ready for football. I'm ready. I'm really excited for football. But me not watching professional football, I'm really excited for Penguins hockey season too. I'm mean, it's, it's something I'm just I've I've been a diehard for about ten years now and I'm just really excited <laughs> for Penguins hockey. I mean it's just something about professional hockey that gets me. But back to football, I mean, you can feel it around the air, the vibe around the stadium every time. I know that stadium looks the same 365 days a year unless there's fans in it. Just there's an aura around that stadium right now where you feel it's coming close. It's it's coming close to game day. Tomorrow is literally a month of away until game day. And it'll be that time where 60,000 fans are all gathered in, in Motown watch the Mountaineers take the field against the James Madison Dukes. I think it'll be a good game. I think the Mountaineers are going to I think uh, I don't think the Mountaineers are going to come out hot. I think they're going to come out slow and um, I think they're going to come out slow. I really I think they're going to be more ground pounders when it comes to the first half of the game and I think it's going to be the first half both teams are going to be more feeling each other out, finding how the tempo of the game is going to go and I can see it really opening up in the second half when each team's figuring each other's weaknesses out. I'm figuring more of a 35-21 game, the Mountaineers. Just getting ready to ask you, what's your early prediction? 35-21, the Mountaineers win. They pull away in the middle of the third quarter going into 35, the fourth. 35-21. I'm going to go 31-17. But 14 yeah, points pretty much. Yeah, 31-17. I, I think that West Virginia does find a way to win. I think that the... The offensive line, even though we we got two starters back on the offensive line, and we got another one that's both are named both are named to both are um, named to watch list, and uh, and also with uh, you know with having a, a cachet of running backs that they have, uh, I really do believe that uh, West Virginia will be able to to control the line of scrimmage in this game against James Madison, and they'll just wear them down in the end. I want to bring up a, a question here. It's something that literally just popped into my mind. I'm, I can't believe it never popped into my mind. 
when it came to the Blitz or any of these podcast shows, everybody's questioning how little receiving depth we have with even Tevin Bush and George Campbell and even Giovanni Haskins as a tight end because we saw the Mountaineers use the tight end spot a lot last year in the receiving game a lot and primarily his blocking skills in Trayvon Wesco. Do you believe with the plethora of running backs we have, it's kind of like baseball, the baseball analogy. Look how horrible the Pirates offense is just because everybody keys on Josh Bell. So if you can pitch around Josh Bell, you got the Pirates. But if you can't pitch around our three running backs for the Mountaineers, we can always play action and throw it to George Campbell or Tevin Bush, and that makes our wide receiving game more volatile because we got such a great running game. We got to go. We got to mention T.J. Simmons. He's the number one receiver coming back right now, and he has the most experience as as well as Javani Haskins at tight end. But I don't think the Mountaineers will be one dimensional. I think that uh, I think they have a better opportunity, especially in this first game, to uh, to run the ball and to get success by on the ground. But I don't think that they'll be one dimensional this year. I think that they'll definitely still, you know, we don't even know who the starting quarterback is yet. So I think most people believe, we'll including, including myself, I do believe that it'll be Austin Kendall. Uh, I think that his, you know, his, his body's size and uh, he just, uh, he has better feet when it comes to Jack Allison. And of course, uh, he's they played say that, behind two Heisman yeah, winners. Uh, he has. And then they say Trey Lowe's not out of the mix yet. So you never know with Neil Brown. He might play, uh, you know, a couple quarterbacks. He may uh, kind of let the game plan kind of dictate itself as to who he plays and, and what they're doing. And I think that Neil Brown will also be somebody that, you know, over the years, what we saw with Holgerson, we saw a lot of the same play calling down inside the red zone. And the Mountaineers have not had success in the red zone in years under, under Dana Holgerson. And so I think that uh, Neil Brown will definitely change things up. And uh, it's I'm just I'm looking forward to it. But I don't think we'll be one-dimensional. But as far as uh, the um, the receiving core goes, Again, we got a bunch of unknowns. We know T.J. Simmons, we know Javani Haskins, but when it comes to the and we know Tevin Bush, but when it comes to the rest of these kids, we really don't know much about them. So uh, somebody can just come out and be a, a major surprise. And we nobody knew that. about Kevin White when he came exactly. out. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people didn't really know Kevin White when he came from uh, what is it, Lackawanna Junior College? Is that where uh, the the Whites all came from? And uh, nobody really knew a whole lot about them until they hit the field. And so uh, I'm looking forward to some of these players again, and I'm not sure about the kid from Temple. Has he been granted eligibility? I don't think so. Well, that would uh, be nice because he's a 6'4 receiver. Um, And I think that uh, there's just a lot of unknowns. But I I think that the Mountaineers will fare a little better than what people think, and I think a lot of people put a lot of stock in that blue-gold game. And I, for one, am not one to put a lot of stock in that game. You're never uh, supposed to. Uh, I just don't see that uh, a lot of the fans got a little bit discouraged through that. But I think the defense will definitely be improved. Even though we lost a lot of, of depth and we lost a bit, I, I still think that just the concept and how uh, Koning is going to play this defense, that you know it's going to be a lot different. So if you've been a big Mountaineer fan, you want to watch this defense this year because you're not going to see that three three five. Uh, stack that we've been playing for years, and you're going to see the defensive linemen have a whole lot more freedom to make plays. I think it's something that's really going to provide a valuable asset to the Mountaineers is everybody on the coaching staff, I think, is open to adaptability and adapting during the game. You can't keep running the same defense. If it's not working during the game, it's not working. You need to have like a separate playbook. If you if the 4-3 is not working... 
Go to a 3-4. Yeah. Well, Turn it around, switch so, it around, do something that will make it right in that game. Well, Don't, I think the adjustments. I think that this coaching staff will be better making adjustments yes, on the yeah, I think that's what we're going to see this year. Even though, like I said, we've got to wait one game at a time, but I just had a feeling it has. To, it can't be worse as far as adjust, especially with the offense. Uh, making adjustments, especially inside the red zone, inside the 20. Uh, I think we got too caught up last year in, in Will Greer's numbers and uh, and David Sills' numbers, and we saw a perfect example of that in the Kansas game last year. We get down inside the, the 20, and three oh times we try to force the ball into Sills by throwing the ball when we could have easily just ran the ball, and that game was way closer than what it should have been against Kansas. So I think these are the things that you'll see Neil Brown do more fundamental football and not be trying to, to make it about individuals. I was at that Kansas game, and it was, it was just horrific watching that game. That was probably one of the sloppiest games. And Kansas could have very well made that even closer than what it could have been. Because I think there was a time where Kansas got within six points of us, or something was. They got close late in the game, and it was it it was it was scary being a fan. You're like, how can we lose to Kansas with Greer and David Sills this year? It was almost we were boasting ourselves, but maybe it wasn't the skill that was on the field. It kind of goes back to the Pirates. It was the people leading them off the field that was leading them the wrong way. You were. Because I was watching that. You would see David Sills go into the end zone. Will Greer would purposely, and you could see Will Greer's eyes, eyes just looking him down. Him. And you would have somebody on the other side of the field, on the side of the field was, that I so happen to be setting on, wide open yeah. standing in the end zone. Like, there was, was not a DB within 10 yards of this guy. Will Greer could have easily switched. And, they was and looking to pad him. the stats at that time, and to me, again, that's a direct reflection on the coaching staff. That's it's what you about, don't do. No, it's you not need about, to play to uh, win the game, not play to to pad your stats. Absolutely, I agree. And then we saw that also in the Iowa State game, because at that time they're still undefeated, that was and, the we saw, and we saw uh, Will Greer take numerous sacks for uh, big chunks of loss of yardage. And uh, you know, after that, I really felt that after they got that first loss, that uh, Will Greer did make better decisions throughout the rest of the season. Um, you know, with the exception of a, you know, really wasn't the Oklahoma game, man. He put up big numbers, but those two fumbles was horrific. And so, you know, you just take a few plays here and there last year and those losses too, and Mountaineers could have had a much better season. But like I said, that uh, addition of Mountaineer football and coaching staff is gone, and I'm excited to see what this coaching staff does. And I really do, again, believe that making adjustments on the fly uh, during a game is going to be vital this year for Neil Brown. I think with the Mountaineers getting the new look, I mean, if you're a Mountaineer and a Pirate fan, with the Mountaineer athletic department done, partially because of Dana Holgerson's departure, is exactly what the Pittsburgh Pirates need to do, is clean the front office house. I'm not talking Shane Lyons. Shane Lyons is a heck of an athletic director. And I'm not talking about anybody in the athletic department. I'm talking about the coaching staff. The Pirates, it does go into the front office. And they pretty much did that. We pretty much got a clean slate with this coaching staff. And, the only uh, person I think is left over is maybe our strength and conditioning. Yeah, that would be, uh, what's his name, Mike... Uh... Mike Joseph. Mike Joseph, yeah, local guy out of Fairmont. And so, um, yeah, I think that he's he's done a good job. I don't know that it's ever been a question of our conditioning when it comes to Mountaineer football because they're always playing fast. Um, the defense is on the field too much, no doubt about that, in the Big 12. And hopefully this year, again, they can get some turnovers. I think that that's what's going to be the key this year for the defense is definitely forcing turnovers, uh, getting pressure on a quarterback that uh, – you know, a lot of times we just didn't see we didn't see a lot of pressure from the Mountaineer defense over the years. And when I was a kid, whenever Mountaineers were chasing Doug Flutie all over the all over the place back in the day, I don't know if you you ever got to see many Doug Flutie highlights, but Doug Flutie never defeated Mountaineers, and there was blitzes coming from everywhere, and, and he was putting pressure on uh, when under Don Nealon, 
Um, that's one of the things I'll say about Don Neyland. He took chances. That's something I think the Mountaineers, I, that's the reason I feel that Neil Brown has a Don Neyland-esque feeling to him. He almost feels like a guy who could be just as or better than Don Neal. And I know it's hard to say you're not, he's not going to be Don Neal and he's going to be Neil Brown. And one of the things that just drove home in one of the interviews he done in a couple weeks ago that shows how humble of a man Neil Brown is, is he, he's told to players, listen, they've won before I came here and they're going to win a long time after I come here. So he's like, I'm just a part of the history right now. He's like, I'm here to help drive it in the right part i don't think neil brown thinks he's looking towards another job or anything but he's being humble and honest to these players of showing how great west virginia football has been even before he's been here i think you're going to go back and see when you say don nealon-esque i think you're going to see that blue collar work ethic that the mountaineers had under don nealon well i mean have you seen how many hill hill runs they've been doing they post them as every day they're running up a hill i'm thinking about doing it one of these days as much as i'm into fitness and working out every day which by the way i'm going to work out immediately following the recording of this podcast so i'm going out in the heat i will be running outside so you don't like that heat Oh, I hate the heat. I, I can't wait for February. I can't wait for February, snow, cruddy roads, everything. You bring it on. I mean, no, as long as I'm not hot, I'm I'm comfortable. Well, you're a young guy, and uh, and you do have a, a a great workout ethic from what I see and hear from you, and uh, I think that's what you're going to see from Mountaineer football this year is uh, they're going to have that blue-collar work ethic, and they're going to go to work each in the, the lunch pail, pail See, type that's thing. why I think the Mountaineers could be a surprise team. I really think, I think, honestly, I, I guess I think they're going to go 6-6. Six and six. I think they're going to go to the bowl game. I think if they go to the bowl game, Neil Brown's not going to just throw in the hat and say, oh, this ain't the bowl game I wanted. No, Neil Brown's going to play to win every game he plays, unlike Dana Holgerson did. So, with that being said, I think the Mountaineers could be surprising this year. The Mountaineers, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I, there's just something in the back of my mind that just says, don't give up on them. They could have a random season where they do go 9-3. and three. I mean, they could shock the world. I mean, there's a possibility. Austin you never Kendall, know. That's, that's, why, could, that's why you strap it up and play stock the game. In the, Don't take stock in the spring game. I understand Neil Brown kind of, or not Neil Brown, but Dana Holgerson, when he left, kind of left the cover bare in a way, in a sense. No discrediting to the, to the kids and the athletes and the students that are already there. They have not seen a lot of game time. Not a lot of people stayed over. With that being said, even though they haven't shown too much game time, you don't know what their true potential is once they get full amount of game time out there. You only saw them for a few plays last year, and they may not have been up to snuff their first few plays. They may show a whole bunch of potential. They may come out of the gates and blow out James Madison 41 nothing. I don't nice. see that happening. I, I, you could see them come out of the gates and start the season off 3-0. I, I'm looking forward to it. I really am. I think again, that's why uh, there's such a. This everybody's wondering, everybody's guessing what's going to happen, you know, under in this new regime. So, we will see come August 31st. And I, again, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, for all you pirate fans out there, uh, I feel for you. Like I said, I have a father that's been watching. Uh, he's 79 years old, and he's been watching the pirates since he was young. And uh, I just feel for him. I go in to his room after a game and. 
you can just see the dejection in him and and he just you know he he every day you know when you're, you get to a certain age and I know I bring my father up a lot when it comes to pirate baseball um I would really really like to see the pirates have a an opportunity someday before my father uh, takes his last breath, and to see them have an opportunity again to go to a World Series. And right now, I'm pretty dejected as well as a Pirate fan. So, uh, you know, I don't want to be one of those people that's uh, not a true fan. I want to be. A, I don't want to be a Fairweather fan. But unfortunately, it's just a real shame this year to see what they're doing here, going two and fourteen in the last sixteen. I'm not saying I'm a Fairweather fan. Um, I'm definitely a diehard fan, but. I think I got like co-fandom, and I know I just made that word up, and I I don't even know where it came from. <laughs> but I'm honestly thinking about totally not even watching the Pirates for a few years until they come back. I mean, there'll be a team I'll I'll receive the updates on everything, and I'll hope they do good. But I'm thinking about moving on to a team that actually puts money into their team, actually puts stock into their team, and actually has optimism for every year unlike the Pirates because of their ownership. Their ownership has turned away so many hardcore fans. It's disgusting what that ownership has done. I mean, you saw it back in 2013, 2014, 2015, when the Pirates were making those playoff runs. You saw how rabid of a fan base that was. You saw how raucous PNC Park was. There was a college-like atmosphere. It was when Quato was on the mound in that game. Oh, my gosh. In that that one game wild card. And and the sad thing is, that was only six years ago. It was, and now you got these same two teams, Cincinnati and and Pittsburgh, that are in the cellar and fighting right now for for the last place spot. I don't feel as bad for Cincinnati Red fans, though, because Cincinnati, they'll make it back here. Cincinnati will spend money. I haven't seen where Cincinnati doesn't make anything. At least the Cincinnati Reds tried this offseason. They acquired Matt Kemp. They acquired Yasiel Puig. They acquired the wood from the Dodgers. They actually tried to make an effort to move forward this season, and just things didn't pan out. What did the Pirates do? They signed Lonnie Chisenhall. Well, here's the thing. Cincinnati right now, if they sweep the Pirates and and the Cubs and Cardinals and Milwaukee fall to ahead of them, Cincinnati could find himself right back within four to five games before this series is over. And that's the sad thing about the NL Central. As sad as I'm saying, yes, the Pirates are done, if the Pirates really weren't slumping right now, they could technically still be in the running. They'd all be right Cause, there. Because, I, I mean, mean, all five teams was in it just uh, two some, weeks ago. Some teams, every I mean, a lot of teams are in last place in other divisions are 17, 18 games back yes. right now, and there is no hope for optimism. The sad thing about the Pirates is this year, the Pirates won't be mathematically eliminated from the playoffs till probably the middle of September. That's how sad the Pirates' situation is right now because you know they're not going to go anywhere. Well, I think uh, I might go home actually tonight because I haven't watched one for a while, and I know they've been on this losing streak. So maybe maybe uh, the title turn tonight, and the Pirates can get to the, get a win against the Reds. And I think maybe I'll spend some uh, father son time tonight and watch this game tonight here. Let's hope here. they get the win. But I can guarantee you, even if they win today, they will not be in the playoffs. The Pirates will be sellers. You saw that today with the trade of Jordan Lyles, and the way that trade was played out, and the way I'm reading about this Ponce guy. That is not so much of a trade. You're literally selling a guy that's been so inconsistent this year, and you're getting a very good prospect in return. Well, he was a second-round draft pick, t- taking 55th pick in the whole draft. And he's so already in he double-A. To... So next year, he could easily 
be on the AAA squad by the end of this year and could be a September call-up next year, or even a call-up in the middle of next year sometime to make an impact on a 2020 Pirate season. And that's the What's thing up? about trades. You never know until a couple of years goes by to see what impact it actually hey, makes. Hey, everybody, so. everybody bashed. And this is one thing I will take back, and this one, this is the only good thing I'm going to say about Neil Huntington on this show. Everybody bashed him when he got rid of McCutcheon and cash considerations for who? Brian Reynolds. And Kyle Crick. Yep, and actually Kyle Crick is still the most consistent reliever with the exception of And Brian of Reynolds is your new starting left fielder after he's, Corey Dickerson. He's been, leaves. again, one of the most consistent. His second half hasn't been quite up to par the way it was the first half, but he's still hitting well over 300. And uh, like I said, the, the thing is, is some of the players have decent batting averages on the Pirates, but the pitching staff has just really, really fallen apart this yeah, year. Yeah, years, years pass. If you saw four or five Pirates in 300 or high 280s, that yeah. was a good offense, and the Pirates would be successful. It's just the thing with the Pirates. You don't have both sides come together, and that's what it takes to be it a playoff team. It takes a complete team. team. It absolutely does. You and the Pirates hit and you are not a complete team. They do not have a consistent rotation. But, they do not have a consistent front end of their bullpen. The only thing that's consistent in that bullpen, and I'm sorry, Kyle Crick, is Felipe Vasquez. That is the only consistent part. No, no. Kyle Crick is not even that consistent. No, no, he's not, but he's still the best that they have besides He's Vasquez. the second and, best in that bullpen. Well, yeah, yeah, Vasquez is the back end. I'm saying any other reliever besides your closer, and your closer is definitely the – but the thing is you can't put your closer in when you don't have a lead. So right now Vasquez's numbers is not – you know, it's not his fault when the Pirates don't have a lead going into the ninth. So uh, right now he hasn't had an opportunity to, to close a game in quite some time. I remember years past – it was Tony Watson in the seventh, Jason Grilly in the eighth, and Mark Melanson coming in the ninth to close it out. And they eventually traded Mark Melanson. Um, Jason, or no, was it they traded Jason Grilly? I forget. I get him mixed up. It was it was uh, Joel Hanrahan, Jason Grilly, Mark Melanson. Uh, that and was Vasquez? back in the days of the Shark Tank. Uh, Vasquez wasn't there then, but uh, that was the day it was a true Shark Tank. Yeah. When you got to the, what'd you, what'd you call it last week? I think they, I think they said no, the goldfish. Tank, it was more, yeah, it's more like a goldfish tank now. I mean, mm. and and I think Vasquez tried to coin the term the Wolf Pack. Yeah, more like the Puppy Pack. I'm sorry, it's it's just they've well, been that awful this season. I'm I'll, sorry to laugh, but I'll kind of finish off this podcast tonight by saying. Felipe Vasquez, his name, his nickname is the Nightmare, and unfortunately, again for us the Pirate fans, the season a... has become a nightmare. <laughs> if anything, if the Pirates could just throw up the white flag right now, I would be fine with that. If they said there was no more games at PNC Park this year because of how horrible the team was played, well, I would not shed a tear. I was actually excited to go up to a Pirates game in the middle of August. I don't think I'm going to go. I honestly don't see me going to a Pirates game. I'm going to save up my money to a team that actually spends their money and go see the Pittsburgh Penguins in October. There you go. That would probably be wisdom, young man. <laughs> and and the sad thing is, me going to Pirates games, they're like 14-3. and three. You know what the Penguins' records are when I went up there? 2-4. and four. The Penguins have a worse record of me going up to watch them than the Pirates do. Well, I mean, it's all about what you enjoy, buddy. And I remember back when I was your age and I couldn't wait to go to any sporting event, but... Uh, Right now, it seems like when I hit 50 years old, and actually over the last 10 years, probably I, I enjoy them uh, from the luxury of my living room a whole lot more than I do out going and, and spending that money. That, uh, But you go out and enjoy those days when you're young because you'll, you'll have a whole lot of lasting memories. So, uh, and hopefully with still, my job, I see the front end of it for a while. 
for years. I mean, I'm talking into my 60s. I'm at the front end of it. Nothing better than having a job and doing something that you love. And there's no doubt that, Aaron, that you love uh, sports and you uh, you have a passion for it. And like I said, you remind me of myself whenever I was young. And so uh, looking forward to seeing you. Uh, got what You got one more year of college left here. Is that correct? This semester, I'm actually coining it. And I know coining is really making it into the podcast right now. My last semester, because my spring semester, I'm only slated to take one online class to graduate. Wow. So technically, I'm technically going to my last on-semester course, or, right. or last on-semester, my last semester on campus, I should say. I'm and sorry, this, I'm getting tongue twisted. That's all right. Well, Marin is a WVU student, and uh, again, you've done a great job here at WKMM, uh, done a lot of things behind the scenes to help, and... Uh, he is the sports director here at WKMM, and uh, it's always an honor and a privilege to spend time with you here each and every week uh, here on the Sports Roundtable, and uh, I look forward to next week. And then uh, the following week after that, I believe that you're going to be on with uh, Chris Westfall, and they're going to be... Uh, well, actually, next week, I don't. I think you may not be joining us with... Oh, us that's right. Time. That's right. That's right. You did tell me that. Uh, we will have a special guest on next week. We will have Preston High football coach Pre- Jonathan Tennant Pre- to join so, us to talk about the Preston so, High football season. Yeah, a special so, edition of the Blitz next week. So yours truly, Kelly Gamble, will have a couple-week break because you'll have Chris Westfall on after that um, and talking about the upcoming sports blitz and maybe incorporate the, the blitz from what I'm hearing and into the roundtable. And so you'll have all four of us back together again here soon with uh, Chris Westfall, Neil Waldeck, myself, and, and your host of the Sports Roundtable, Aaron Host. And we will again be talking Mountaineer football and college football in general. And we'll be having all of our picks, and we have a lot of fun with that. And unlike the Pittsburgh Pirates, I will not be in the cellar this year. Well, I'm not going to be either, so it must be the other two guys that's not here. So we can't speak on their behalf. But uh, I always say I, I like to win and I like to eat. Well, as long as you don't bring a gift card this year, I am. Uh, if I somebody I, gives me a gift card, I'll use it again. <laughs> I tell you what, uh, uh, we got to make a, an agreement. If you get a gift card from a restaurant and we find out we're going to that, we automatically switch the restaurant. <laughs> That's the way it needs to be. This year. It wouldn't matter either if way. We, if it's we still, choose a gift card, the same as cash. Come on, Aaron. <laughs> well, cash it out then. You can always cash those gift cards out. Just trash the gift card. Oh. Always, I mean, that was the funniest thing I ever seen. When you go to pay the check, this guy pulls out a gift card. Like that. Yeah. It looked like you've been saving up for so long. Like here, well, kind a of Christmas like a cop gift. out moment. Christmas gift for my daughter. I mean, <laughs> she must have knew in advance that I was going to need it there. But uh, like I said, I uh, had a had a great run and uh, won the overall regular season. And then uh, Neil. Neil finished it up to win uh, the the bowl contest, and uh, so we kind of had two winners last year out of the, the four of us. So uh, you and Chris is going to be uh, digging hard this year and grinding, I'm sure, and doing a lot, a lot of homework to try to bring forth a great competition. And it it was competitive last year, and it was a lot of fun. Hey, uh, I mean, whoever um, the NFC champs this year, um, the Los Angeles Rams, they won the regular season. But they didn't win the Super Bowl, and guess who gets the big credit now? It's the New England Patriots. So yeah. you may have won the regular portion, but Neil turned it on when it had to. Yeah, and I yeah. stayed in the cellar anyways. I I, <laughs> I I do not know what happened. I was in Peru at the time, and I literally threw all my picks in at once, and I was literally no discredit to bon jovi i was living on a prayer when it came to the bowl season yeah. last year you and chris both was actually waiting to see what picks that we had at the top of the leaderboard so that you could try to actually go against those picks. we were so, actually doing that yeah. like the, and i think that's the reason i was so horrible 
And uh, everybody, if, I bet everybody was thinking on a radio station, how could this guy, Aaron Host, be named the sports director here at 96.7, <laughs> be so horrible in the sports blitz at picking these games? Honestly, my season was a nightmare from week one when I chose Alabama to lose to Louisville. That was mistake number one of the season. That was my first loss here, and that was the first loss I would ever receive here. I never really had what you said an awesome week. I would always be a couple games behind, or I'd be tied with Chris. I was never the top win-getter for that week, and getter, I don't know where that word came from either. (laughs) But I bet everybody was thinking, how could this guy be named the sports director? He'd be making such horrible picks. And like I and I got off on I got off on my got off on a tangent there. The only reason I was making half of those picks when it came to halfway through the season, I was literally picking against everybody else just to hopefully have that miracle run that I would win. The only team that I was right on the whole season that when I picked loses, I picked the Mountaineers' losses. You did, you did, and the three of us uh, did not go. Uh, and I think there was two, two or three games where you picked against the Mountaineers, and you was correct, and we wasn't. So um, that's the only thing I was good at last year was I was good at betting against the Mountaineers. But folks, I extended our time. I think we've ran out of time. And once again, I want to thank you guys for tuning in to listening. I want to thank our sponsors who helped bring this wonderful content your way on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, and on our website, kcountryradio.com. I want to thank Three Guys Fitness in Reedsville. Mention you heard this ad on the Sports Roundtable or 96.7 K Country and receive $5 off your initial membership fee by Brouhaha in Kingwood, located on Price Street, where the coffee beans are roasted in-house and the coffee is absolutely delicious. And by High Ground Brewing in Terra Alta, West Virginia. I want to thank Kelly Gamble for coming in. Uh, you'll hear Kelly Gamble again in two weeks. And about that time when Kelly, you, I, I actually think, looking at the schedule now, the next time you're on the sports roundtable. Will be the sports blitz. It's going to be the sports blitz. It will. So the next time you hear Kelly Gamble, it will be the first edition of the sports blitz. Now keep in mind, the first edition of the sports blitz, we won't be making any game picks per se, but we will be doing our college final four and probably our our conference winners. I'm getting into baseball and division winners. Yeah. But once again, folks, I want to thank you. I want to thank our artist who made our artwork on the podcast that you see on your screen, Robert Flores, for doing the artwork for us. And once again, thanks to all the listeners. If you guys have any questions, anything you would like to hear on the Sports Roundtable, be sure to tweet me at AaronHost97. Or message me on Facebook. I'm always on there. You can find Kelly Gamble on Twitter as well. Chris Westfall is on Twitter as well. He's our Mountaineer expert. And you can follow the station Twitter at 967WKMM on Twitter as well. Once again, thank you everybody. And I'll talk to you again next week.